Welcome to the new Dalcrosian, the world's first podcast discussing the work of Emile Jacques Dalcros as practiced in the 21st century. I'm Anthony Molinero. And I'm Lauren Hudson. On today's podcast, we've got two guests. It's a two-fur podcast. We have got uh, Dr. Jeremy Dittis for his second appearance on the podcast and a great conversation with Monica Dale. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. I wasn't able to be on that interview, but um, I think it was a great interview that you did with her, Anthony. Thanks. So well, you missed that. We missed you in that one, Lauren. It would have been Aww, great to thanks. have you there. So, Anthony, next week you told me you're about to go teach at Interlochen, and yeah. uh, this is your first time there, right? That's correct. I, I am uh, uh, completely unaware of what I'm about to get myself into, but um, <laughs> I was invited by some great colleagues of ours to uh, join. Actually, it's kind of interesting. There, there's like a team of Eurythmics teachers. Lauren, yes. I have never actually worked with any other Eurythmics teachers on a faculty like oh, that. Oh, you're going to love it. It's such a good time. <laughs> I'm it's such so a good excited. time. I've, uh, uh, I want to give a shout out to um, both Katie Couch and Mimi Hugh. I did not say your name right. Sorry, Mimi. But to Mimi and to Katie, they have both been, uh, I have taught with them at different programs and it's so much fun to have a Dalcro's pal. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I just, I'm like flabbergasted by the idea. I'm like, you mean like there's going to be another Dalcro's teacher there for me to yeah. bounce ideas off of or yeah. to go yeah. watch teach or to just explain what happened and have them understand it. Yeah. Can... <laughs> you need those Dalcro's friends. <laughs> you know what? It is all about Dalcro's friends. This is the new, this is the theme of our last few episodes. It's all about <laughs> Dalcro's friends, we need each other, folks. We need each other. So. We do. We do. Well, I, I wanted to ask about it because I've had lots of thoughts recently about lesson planning. Oh, great. Yeah, especially for students that you don't yet know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so this past week and next week, I'm teaching lots of different students that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And as much as possible, like we want to try to plan out like the whole week and our objectives and where we hope to, you know, land by the end, even if it's broad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts about as you look to, you know, in a couple days from now, when you teach those students for the first time, what are you thinking about as you're um, planning your your lessons? Yeah, I mean, it's great that you brought this up. I've been actually thinking a lot about it. I'm actually writing about it on my Substack currently. Uh, oh, isn't that interesting? I, 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 I led you to that. You led I? me right to it. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Yes, not to be that uh, to drop the uh, hint there, but um, but yeah. So I ha- I've been thinking a lot about the lesson planning topic. Um, I think for this reason that, that, uh, you brought up because I, all of a sudden now I'm, I'm being thrust into these new environments with new people and, and like, mm-hmm. what do you, how do you plan on it? And, and, you know, what's interesting yeah. is that like as Dow Gross teachers and you, you've talked about this before is like, and actually, you know, I think a lot about the conversation we had with Oliver Berkman where mm. he said like, ideally you'd have every five minutes of every lesson plan completely, you know, completely planned out like to the T and then also have also the ability to just let it go and, sure. and, and yep. hold it very loosely. Right. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, um, it's like you, that's the ideal situation is you'd have su- such a very detailed plan that you just had everything that you wanted to say and do all thought out, but then also be totally ready 
to just say, man, well, that's not where it went and, and follow a different direction. And, and, uh, um, and so I, I really have been taking that to heart in my lesson plans these days. I've been trying to come in with like some ideas about, you know, this might, I think this is where, what I'm going to try to go for, but also just be totally ready to read something or hear something, just sure. get, catch a word, catch a, a, a an expression on a face or overhear something or see something interesting and just be able to take that and run with it. And it's like this idea mm. of being open to inspiration. Sure. Yeah. Being, being willing to take that risk as a teacher and say, oh, this is what they know. This is what I think they know, at least. This is what I'm seeing from them. This is what I think we could do in order to head this direction of the topic I'm thinking about and what we want to achieve together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I might start out with a sort of format, like thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm thinking I'd like to try something with, you know, meter. And I do this thing with these body positions in the meters and, you know, maybe we'll start there, but you know, maybe there's just something really cool happens that just just spins mm. it off in a whole beautiful direction. And I think that that's the wonderful thing about this style of teaching is that, that you can be open to that inspiration. I did one the other day where I, I, this young girl in my class was like fixated on velociraptors, hmm. the dinosaur. She had this velociraptor and I don't know, like I'd never seen it before, but she had this like velociraptor walk. She had perfected <laughs> It was, it was uncanny. I mean, she had this walk. Of course. I can't even describe it. Like she had the whole (laughs) thing. Like it was unmistakably a velociraptor walk. And I was like, that's incredible. And so we just started playing with different dinosaur walks in the kit. And I was accompanying her velociraptor walk and trying to capture the way it sort of curved. And then like, and then we would try different dinosaurs. And then I started like improvising on the Jurassic Park theme and we started doing different (laughs) stuff with that. Why not? And and I, I always love doing that both, you know, if there are kids in the room that recognize certain things, but especially if there are other grownups in the room, because, you know, they might've like, you know, kind of like dozed off for a second not sleeping but thinking about other things and then suddenly they look at you and they kind of smile and you're like "Ah, (laughs) that's great (laughs) it's a good moment yeah Uh, well so to answer your question is you know i think i'm going to go in there armed with a pretty good idea of what i'm going to do but i'm really going to try to be open to just leaving it leave just leaving it be and 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 trying to stay in the moment with these with these kids and getting to know them and and you know i'm I'm hoping that lots of beautiful things happen and i can report back and uh hopefully it's not a total disaster oh i'm sure it won't be especially with your dalcro's pals i know tons of support yes so um (laughs) when i was doing my training in denver um and uh, there, there was a bunch of other people doing their training at the time, and they all happened to be um, females. And so we determined that we were going to call ourselves the Dow Gals. <laughs> <laughs> I even wrote a canon in 7-8. That's the Dow Gal canon. I'll have, to, I'll have to pull it out and find it. But, <laughs> but yeah, we, we all need those Dow Gals and pals to get us through. Yeah. Dow pals. I like that. That could be that. <laughs> that could be the name. The Dow pals. There we go. The Dow pals. It's a little more gender neutral. That's right. It's true. <laughs> we, I, I, and speaking of that, I am trying to be so much more gender, gender neutral than I have been mm-hmm. before. Um, and it's such a process, isn't it? You know, to go from being like, even saying, Hey guys, like yeah. that's still gendered. Hey, mm-hmm. everyone, you know, Hey friends, Hey, whatever. Yeah. I really, um, I try to as well. Um, 
you know, I, I don't want, I don't let it trip me up too much, but I do sure. really try to, I do really try to be, you know, it's just good. It's just a good habit to get into. I think I, I do that one. Sure. Um, it's like a, one of the riffs I go on a lot and I, this is where I really had to think about it was on uh, super do re mi where I tell mm. this whole story of the superhero and I really sure. try to make it a superhero and I try not to gender the superhero. Yes. And that's like yep. a little hard to do because you want to, sure. you really, I mean, I don't know. I do. I, I, I do anyway tend to gender the superhero as a man and and you i think that's maybe the cliche but maybe it's just me but i really try not to i really try they you know pull up the bus super do re mi just use the name a lot super do re mi could be any gender and uh um it's been yeah i'm right there with you yeah it's important i think it's important and and too when we like you're about to go teach what teenagers right so they um, are going through all sorts of, especially right now in our modern society, all sorts of gender related things in their life yeah. um, and to maybe even like misgender someone or like say something that would make them feel like, sure. wait, that's not me. We have to be more aware of that now, I think, and and to educate ourselves in ways that we can go about it to make our yeah. students feel. Yeah. I mean, yeah, anything you know, we can do to make sure everybody feels included and safe, I think, is 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 good and beneficial. Um, you Agreed. know, I, I, I think it's a no brainer. Agreed. got a really great piece of mail I wanted to share with you. I'm really excited about it. Um, Excellent. I'm excited too. I don't even know who it's from, but I, I know I, I you don't actually. So, um, <laughs> here's, uh, here it is. So it says, uh, hello, Anthony and Lauren. I hope you are doing very well. I am such a fan of the new Dalcrosian. I originally found it via Anthony's appearance on the Afternoon Tea podcast, and I'm so glad I did. Sidebar, folks, if you haven't listened to that interview I did on Afternoon Tea with Jessica Grant, it was a cool interview um, about the the method. And uh, so uh, I'll put a link up. On the, on the Facebook page so you can check it out. Okay, back to the letter. I appreciate so much that you, are, that you two are putting it out into the world with so much joy, mm. so many wonderful insights and a very inclusive vibe. Aww. Thank you again so much for being so awesome. Warmly, Nicola. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you for writing in. That's such a nice letter. Such nice things to say. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks, Nicola. of, uh, you know, heading to go teach, what are you bringing with you oh, in yeah. your teacher bag? Go. Yeah. So I, uh, that's a great, uh, <laughs> great transition. Great segue. <laughs> great yes. segue. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, this episode, uh, Lauren and I wanted to, uh, talk about, 
um, using balls and hoops and scarves and, and, and some people call them props in the class. These are items that we use um, to evoke movement, to uh, encourage students to uh, move in a particular way, to accomplish something that we're trying to accomplish. Um, to provide a different way of understanding a topic. Yeah, provide. Right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, yeah, when I go to Interlochen, I am going to be bringing a, a bag of several of these <laughs> manipulatives and, um, and I'm going to find ways to use them um, judiciously. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, we, uh, I, I don't, I hesitate to, uh, to, to, um, lead in too much because we have a couple of great conversations on this topic, but, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different ways that Dalcro's teachers approach using these items and it's a really great topic of conversation that we, uh, I have found at conferences and various interactions to be really diverse and fruitful and people mm-hmm. want to talk mm-hmm. about it. And it's, um, a, a lot of different ideas across an entire spectrum here. Um, and so we wanted to have a couple conversations about it because there is such a diversity of thought on this. Um, so we invited, uh, two great practitioners that we respect very much, uh, to come and chat about it because I think they have slightly different takes on it. And I think, you know, both are totally, um, worth exploring. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, so we're going to start with a, um, a little, uh, uh, conversation uh, about props that we had with, uh, Jeremy Dittis. Jeremy, hi, how are you doing? Hi. <laughs> so I thought you might start out by just like some general prop thoughts. Well, the first thing I would say is um, I prefer not to call them props. Oh, great, not great. I don't have an issue with other people calling them props, just so we're clear. That's great. But I, I don't use that term. I usually use, I like the term materials. Um, the other one that I like, the, the, the term that I like is manipulatives. I like that a lot too, because it's something you manipulate in the class. Um, but generally the, the phrase that I use, cause that's a lot of syllables too many for this one, um, is, uh, it's just materials because for me, the idea is, is that a material is like a tool. The material is a way for us to explore the musical concept in some sort of physical, um, fashion that allows the music to become more visual, I guess, to allow it to become more physicalized. Um, that's the first thing that I think about when I think of using materials is that it's, it's a way for it to become more visual. It's a way for us to embody in a different way. The other thing that I think materials afford us is a way to work on coordination in the body, which I think is really critical Great. that we have ways of um, challenging coordination, challenging balance, challenging flow. And whenever you give somebody a ball or you give them a scarf or you give them a set of chopsticks, that all of a sudden becomes an issue. It becomes something that you have to address. And so I like it for those, um, those two reasons. So they come to mind. Yeah. That's a great point about coordination. 
I wondered what you thought particularly about, for example, middle school students or high school students or even college students who might be um, hesitant to move or kind of get started with an activity. Do you feel like um, these types of materials can kind of help um, this type of thing be more accessible for people who are kind of insecure about starting uh, an activity? Yes, I do. I think that it can work totally in that way. Um, yeah, yeah, I totally think that, that it can work very, very well to use props in that um, environment. Yeah, yeah. I also think, though, materials can go the other way. I think that sometimes materials can cause students to be really self-conscious. Mm -hmm. I bring out a ball and they're like, oh God, now I'm going to look stupid. And yeah. this is the inner dialogue that they have. Yeah. And um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's all about growth mindset. So um, I think that this is, it's a, it, it levels the playing field at some level um, yeah. for those students and for the students who might be, um, concerned for other reasons. And so then they get to be lifted up in that moment. Yeah. So I, I think that if we use too much of any one thing, that's always gonna be a concern. As long as we understand what our musical goals are and our movement goals are, then yes. that intention yeah. um, can be very easily addressed. Well, I was, I was just about to kind of reiterate that in, um, you have always told me don't don't ever um, use a material just to use that material you really have to know what your goal is behind using it using it and that um it actually will help you achieve that goal rather than just be a fun thing on the side we're using tennis balls or scarves whatever it might be right yeah well no i was just gonna say too that you know the students may not understand that i'm not suggesting that i them a little lecture every time I bring out a set of scarves. Oh, of I mean, they may just very well be thrilled to, to throw the scarf. I mean, that could be it for themselves. Um, but then sometimes it is important because sometimes they may not be thrilled. You know, you give a 16-year-old boy a scarf and say, go to town, and they may well think, <laughs> what the heck? I don't know if the purple hair guy is somebody I want to be around. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. And so this is a thing then to address. So this is why we're doing it. And as long as you have it on the tip of your tongue, yes. um, then I think you're in good shape. Yeah. So I, I wonder, I don't know, this might be kind of fun. Like let's, let's set the scenario. Like you're, you're on a desert Island and you get one, <laughs> you get one material oh, no. that, that you can take. Okay. Jeremy, what, what's your go-to, what's your one that you're taking? Well, probably a ball. That's what you think the most powerful one is the ball. I think so. And I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, the, the ball gets a bad rap as far as I'm concerned, just so we're clear. I think the ball um, is one of those pieces of equipment that uh, the novelty of it at first is so forward that, that people forget what is it really doing. But, um, but what I love about the ball is that the ball can show duration. Mm -hmm. I love about the ball is that it can demonstrate buoyance. You know, you can throw it into the air and you can watch that parabolic arc. And there's a moment where it's not going up or down. It is absolutely at the limit of going up versus down. And it's sort of floating in midair for that one second. You get to see it. 
watch that. Um, balls afford us the opportunity to have interaction with other people in the class. So, you know, you can roll the ball to someone, you can bounce the ball to someone, you can pass the ball to someone. There's just so many ways that you can use it. Um, and then there's a dynamic quality to using a ball in class that is very appealing to me, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to things like measure shape. So understanding how three time feels different than four time, either in simple or compound meter, I don't care, or even complex, but just understanding how that feels, um, the ball helps to really elucidate what that is. You know, that there is this sense of down and at that limit of down versus up, it immediately mm -hmm. comes up out of the ground, which makes beat one feel very up, which is very useful because we usually think of beat one as being down, but it's the inverse and the ball demonstrates that so clearly, mm -hmm. um, way more than my paltry words could add. <laughs> Absolutely. That's amazing. So Jeremy's taking the ball. All right. Anthony, what's yours? Do you oh, have one man. or should we, should well, we save that for later? What do you well, think? No, I'll, I'll chime in. I, I, All right. I, I like, I like everything Jeremy's and I would dare not go against him for the sake of variety though. I, I like the bean bag, uh, personally, the, 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 because first of hmm. all, I teach in a, a public school, very crowded classrooms. The bouncy ball is too much. It's too much temptation. There's too much to it. The bean bag is nice. I get little passing games going with it. I really like, I can toss it to somebody and if they drop it, it just goes plunk. And I can, uh, you know, if we're doing a passing game and somebody drops it, no big deal. Swinging, passing back and forth. I, I use like little hacky sacks. That's my go-to, uh, that's my go-to manipulative to use the, uh, the term that Jeremy, uh, just hit me to <laughs> would be the, uh, the bean bag personally. That's where I'm going. How about you, Lauren? Man, um, I think it's a tie between scarves and hoops. I'll say, I think mine will be the scarves. Okay, go I think with scarves. scarves um, yeah, scarves allow um, a different type of time and space to happen that balls, oh my gosh, sorry. Guess who it is? It's my parents saying they just listened to our last episode. Oh. That's great. Thanks, mom and dad. Um, I think scarves allow us a different type of time and space that is slightly slower than real time, which is really appealing to me. So I think, I think scarves and I like playing for, this is very selfish, but I like playing for tossing scarves. <laughs> well, we've all, we've all picked our favorites. Sure. Well, and I, I just want to offer one other thing that I think is important that when I use a material um, in, in the class, I am very careful to make sure that the material isn't the only thing having all the fun. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is the this is the kind of the devil's advocate of of whether or not we should use materials or not. Is that if our body is our instrument, we have to be very cautious about that. I mean, if I'm going to have students bounce and catch a ball, if their entire body is divorced from this experience, except for their shoulder or God forbid, just their wrist, that's all that they're using. This is not working. <laughs> we are not engaging in any kind of flow that would make me um, proud of what's happening in the uh -huh. hall. But if I can get them to engage their whole core with the ball, which honestly, if you look at any professional athlete who uses a ball of any kind, I mean, this is, nobody just uses an isolated part of the body. The whole mm -hmm. thing is involved. Mm -hmm. The whole body is involved. Just watch tennis. 
or volleyball. I mean, you can see it, but even golf, even for God's yeah. sake, <laughs> you know, they, they can do it. And so I think that, um, that's something that I always think about whenever I'm using a material for myself is how can I make sure that the whole body is involved in this? So that way the students are, um, gaining that whole body experience mm -hmm. from the, yeah, I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 I hear you at, at Carnegie Mellon, they don't actually use a lot of, um, uh, manipulatives or, or, or in, I, in fact, I didn't use one any myself until pretty late in my, uh, sort of Dalcro's arc. It, they, they, and I think for the reason that you just outlined is they, they're, they want to make sure that it's all about the body and the introduction of that material can sometimes in their mind interrupt that. And I'm also very careful to make sure, Hey, let's do that same thing now, but put the ball down and let's just use the invisible ball. And I want to see if we can all do the same thing and, and right. get that effect. I think that's a, a crucial step. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Something to think about. Great. Well, thanks, Jeremy, for taking this time to talk with us. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear the responses of what our favorite, uh, what our favorite material is. So Lauren, in the uh, at the end there of the Jeremy um, conversation, we talked about our desert island uh, prop that we would bring with us, and you said that you would bring a scarf. I would, yes. And you mentioned that you love playing for scarves, and I was just, I wondered what kind of stuff are you thinking about when you um, are playing for scarf music. Sure. Great question. Well, first, I want to kind of um, say that I use scarves in many different ways. We can toss mm -hmm. and catch them. We can also, you know, in this uh, still kind of pandemic times, I've used them instead of holding hands. Like, you know, each yes. person has a scarf. You you grasp on with them, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but in particular, I think that the scarf works well for tossing and catching because, of course, it floats. Right. Yeah. So the things that I'm thinking about when I'm playing it are, you know, how can I make my music evoke that toss catch? So you can hear that mm. little brum, bum, brum, right. bum, bum. So I'm thinking about that and using, of course, some pedal to make it feel a little bit more floaty, for example. using um, some major seventh chords, you know, your choice. You don't have to use yeah. that. But that's that's some of the things that I'm thinking about. No, I think I think you're right. A major a major sounding chord gives it 
gives it a lighter feel, which oh, we sure. want it. And up high, want it extend, right? Yeah. Up high. And uh, then up, yeah. And yes. also ascending Register. on your little. Yes. You know, yes. That's know. so important. You know, when we're mm-hmm. like, I remember when I was learning how to play for different activities, like ball bouncing and stuff, you don't realize how crucial it is that your melody, you know, like mm-hmm. actually does what the ball does, right? Yeah. If the scarf is going up, your melody shouldn't go. That's the opposite of what it's something about that ascending melody does lift us up. And I agree. And also really strong on the cruises there and kind of then rolling into it to really give a, it almost hasn't that feeling of the pickup, but no. Yeah. That anacrusic feeling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think anytime we do something with a, a physical item, that's a really good point that you made, Anthony, is that we need to play something that starts almost before that crucis, because mm-hmm. anything that we are holding, um, we can't start from nothing, right? We yeah. can't like jump from not bending our knees. We can't toss a scarf without first kind of yeah. pulling it back and then tossing it so yeah i mean i i mean i i wonder lauren and and i this is what i did when i was learning to play for movement is is i just would i would go back and forth between doing the motion and then going to the piano and playing it like it's like a thousand times i would i would have a scarf and i would toss the scarf and i would be like what kind of music and maybe i would (laughs) sing while i did it Uh and uh i would say and then I would go to the piano and try to pick yes. that up a little bit. And then as soon as I felt like I lost it, I, was yeah. like, oh, I, lo- I lost it. I'd get up yeah. and do the movement movement again to really, and sometimes I even do that while I'm teaching. I'll get up and do the oh, yeah. movement oh, with, yeah. to, to like try to get that in there. Is that, is that your experience? As oh well? yeah. Well, and I'm, you, you know, listeners, you can't see me, but I'm like laughing right now because the, the hilarious and also dangerous quality of being a Telcro's teacher is that, you can create music for anything, right? Yeah. So like uh, all of a sudden you're like making little sounds as you're making coffee or washing the dishes or everything has a sound, right? Because you're like yeah. learning how to make sounds for physical things and everything is physical and everything has a rhythm or a, a timbre to it. And so that's what I've noticed too with, with students who are learning how to improvise. And I'll even say, yeah, try, you know, just like making up sounds or music for anything that you do. You yeah. walk up the stairs, yum ba dum bum beam Bum, 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 bum. You've made it, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And so it's both dangerous and hilarious. Mm. Dangerous because you might annoy people, but that's Oh, okay. yeah. Well, yeah, and it just haunts you in your head all the time. That it's, too, that too. Yeah. It's just yeah. never ending. So great. Oh, man, that, that yeah. was really cool. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah, of course. So Lauren, after we talked to Jeremy, we were looking for a different perspective. And I think there is, you know, a, a strong um, you know, contingent of Dalcro's teachers who actually don't use a lot of these kind of materials in their class, mm-hmm. um, you know, for various reasons. Um, and I think it's really valuable to understand that and to know why, because I think at the very least, it helps us to be more thoughtful when we are using the the props um, as to how we're using them, to understand that you don't actually need to use them. I agree. I fully agree. And I think our conversation with Jeremy was a great reminder, I think, for, you know, for, for both of us and maybe for our listeners that 
of that, you know, what, what is the, what is the reason that you're using it? Are you mm. truly using it in a way that the whole body is involved? Are you as a teacher using your attentive eyes to really notice what they're doing? Like I've, I've gone through this phase recently where I realized I was playing for movement and I was watching them. My hands are doing mm. quotations, watching them, but I wasn't actually connecting exactly what I was doing to them. I was kind of like, you know, my eyes were glazed as I kind of yeah. looked at them across the room, but actually watching them. And I think pulling that in to say, how are you using your body when you're using this piece of mm -hmm. whatever is, is important. So that was a great reminder to me. How yeah. about you? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that the, uh, that, that, that's one of the things that's great about this podcast, right? Is we get to sit down with somebody like Jeremy yes. and just be, be reminded of these just very oh, yeah. fundamental things. It just, you know, that slip your mind. And, uh, and so the, the conversation I had with Monica, then I think is in that context, really, really valuable and important. Mm. And so, um, we're going to play now this, uh, this great conversation, um, about materials with Monica Dale. you at the at the Westminster conference in New Jersey um, years ago but it was pa pretty much in passing I, so I haven't spent a lot of time with you but so one one of the things I but I love your work and I always love always love your sessions and I've been following it your books and whatnot for for many years um, but I wonder um, if you might I usually start out with people kind of asking them what how do they how did they come into the practice like give me a little bit of your origin story about how you came into the Dalcro's practice Oh gosh, well, I always um, was had a dual interest in piano and dance. Mm. And um, I had to keep a technique journal for dance. Mm -hmm. And I was writing that I was very frustrated with the way that the dance teachers didn't understand music and that the uh, accompanists were frustrated, all the accompanists were frustrated when. Um, you know, the typical errors of, of a dance teacher who didn't understand what they were asking for right. um, from an accompanist. So uh, one of the, I, and a teacher who read mine said, you should look up Jacques Dalcroix in the library. And oh, wow. so I did. And I read his books and thought, this is, this is exactly what I need to do. He's, he's like oh. reading my mind. This is exactly it. So um, how do I find out about this? And Apparently, there had been a woman who came to Connecticut College some years before that who did a workshop. And then I had to find out who was chair of the department then. Would they have the letter from this person asking to come to the college in their files? And they dug that out. And I could, the only way to reach her then was to write a snail mail. So I did that. And she wrote me back. And she said, the only person you can study with is Hilda Schuster in New York. Uh -huh. She's the only one authorized, yada, yada, yada. In the Americas, right. she's the only one who's authorized. So I, I didn't know what that meant. So <laughs> I, um, once I graduated, I went back to New York. I had been in New York um, for a couple of years um, for dance. So I went back and um, 
uh, took a, a semester or something with her, which I wasn't really ready for. I didn't quite understand where she was coming mm -hmm. from. And then went back to Connecticut after a while. And then my dad, who taught at the college, came home one day with a brochure from Ithaca College. Look, there's another Dalcros program. Mm -hmm. What? And there's there's only one in the Americas that is authorized. <laughs> oh, there's another one. So then I went to um, I auditioned for their master's program, which was required to get into the Delcos program. And I went there and um, started with the summer program. And mm -hmm. I never looked back. That, that it switch goes to show some programs resonate with some people and yeah, others with others. Absolutely. That not to be the one for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about the Delcos practice is that the individuality that it allows the teaching artists to kind of put their personality on it. But then likewise, what you're going to get is you're going to get a variety that it's not, it's like there's a lot of variation between the teachers and, the, and what their approach is. And I think that, that that's beautiful. I think we should embrace that as a community is that everybody's voice is, is uh, unique and and adds to the to the larger kind of movement. Mm -hmm. um, so so that's interesting though. I, I want to dwell on this for just a second. That you really sought it out based on a conflict that you were having between the dance and the music sides of your sort of brain. You sought out something that could kind of combine those things, and you found it in the books and in the reading, and then you searched through and then you I mean so, such tenacity Monica to carry on looking through uh the, the you know to, to to find the uh uh something that would resonate with you in 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 both of those sides of your uh orientation I think that that's really interesting I've never heard that before so cool yeah even before that um there was a step in between uh when I was still an undergraduate there's a thing called the Watson Fellowship mm-hmm and uh, I was one of two finalists at Connecticut College. Um, I wrote an essay applying to go to Switzerland and take a semester there. And it was a semester a year, I can't remember now. And I wrote to Dominique Port, who was then head of the Institute Jacques Delcroze, mm -hmm. and did, did some research into uh, what their program was and what a study would look like and how I could go abroad. and and um, do a research project there and uh, appeared before the Watson committee. But they, but I was a finalist, but I didn't get it oh. because they mm -hmm. felt it was backward looking. Why do you want to go oh. to a Calvinist country like Switzerland? <laughs> and, you know, they were looking for, for more new ideas right, yeah, and they didn't yeah. see this as very new. So. Right. Well, it's, and that's what's interesting. I find a lot when I talk to people about it, especially in, in America, it's still relatively obscure, Right. And uh, and people like I was at a conference and this one woman was like, wow, I think the, the Dalcos thing is just the new thing. It's the new wave of, of music education. I was like, it, you know, it's the oldest one. Right. Like I, I people just don't aren't even aware of that, that the tradition is so, so long uh, of the practice that, uh, you know, that it, but it's still relevant and very fresh to people. I mean, I think that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I still have my letter from Dominique Port. I came oh, across cool. it recently. Yeah, he was very kind. That's cool. So, uh, and I guess that could lead us into kind of what I what I was hoping to get into in this discussion is that this episode that we're putting together is all about um, 
the Dalco's practices orientation and various thoughts people have towards using props and the and people, some people don't even like the word props, but props, materials, whatever, uh, you know, items that we might use to engender movement. And where um, there's a, a certain, you know, a, I think a strong voice in the Dalco's community that, you know, that, most of the time using these kind of things is actually inappropriate or like uh, not as not doesn't achieve the goals that we've had. And as we asked around for people who kind of held that point of view, because we think it's a valid point of view and we'd like to hear uh, it defended, um, your name came up as somebody who like, doesn't use these things like intentionally. Um, and so I wonder maybe just in terms of like your history, like the, is this something that you picked up through the years from your teachers or how did you come about this sort of way of thinking? And do I have it correct? Uh, and I don't know, just kind of riff on that for a minute for me. Um, well, I would look at it the other way. Okay. Why do you use a prop? <laughs> Not why don't you use a prop, but why do you use one? If there's a reason to use one, then I would. Uh, otherwise, what is the purpose of it? Mm -hmm. That's what I would ask. And I, I'd say never say never. I wouldn't say I would never use a thing. If there's a use for a thing, then I'd use the thing. But um, coming from a modern dance background too, I think is uh, it's not like we had stuff in the room. It's just moving your body yeah. and finding ways to do that. And um, if there's something I wanted to get at, I could use a lot of creative imagery to get there. Uh, without using a prop. Sure. Well, I mean, I guess like, so I guess I, I came from the, uh, you know, from the Carnegie Mellon training center and uh, Marta Sanchez sort of famously was like you, um, was not a big, uh, didn't find much of a use for these kind of things. And so there's not a tradition at Carnegie Mellon of using them. So I didn't really use them either. Uh, and then I encountered some people using them and I sort of evolved on it, but I think, um, these ideas of the props and things, hoops and balls um, came out of the same, well, I've read that they came from the big choric movement things at the festivals and things mm -hmm. where they would, where Jacques Delcroze and Laban and others would have masses of people moving yeah. as one. And it sort of accentuated their movement if they had a hoop or a ball or something all moving the same directions. Um, so it was for the external visualization mm. of the thing. It sort of emphasized that. So it's kind of for the viewer. In yeah, that yeah, sense. I get what you're saying. So that's almost like opposite. It's like the movement, like they added the the item later in order to make it to give it the audience something to look at. But it wasn't so much for the actual participants to improve their right. movement, right? Or it could it could have been some of both. Right. Um, but it's but it's visual. So mm -hmm. I've heard people say when they use the balls bouncing and tossing, it's for the visual sense mm -hmm. as well. Um, so I think that's fine as far as it goes. Um, but I, I think what we're after is something different. Yeah. There. I mean, there may be a place for that. And I and I wouldn't say I never use things like that, but not uh, to the exclusion of or instead of doing something that's more physical and focused on mm -hmm. the student's body. Yeah, that's the, that was my thinking on it initially too, was that whatever you're doing, it's all about the body and the sensation, right? And so if, mm -hmm. if you can find a way to use that item to engender more active movement in the sensation, then 
cheers. That's, that's what, you know, that's great, but it must be, that has to be the, the goal, right? Is to, to get to the sensation of the body and it can't be about the ball. It's not about the ball. It's about what the ball, the ball evokes you to do. And that's tricky to do. And I can see, um, you know, I can see reflecting on that more, uh, to make sure that if you are using those items, that it's not just uh, a way to just visually engage the, the students, but it is seeking to get you to a better embodied sensation. Right. And it is tricky and I'm not good at it. That's the other thing. <laughs> oh. I'm really clumsy. Yeah. Oh, that's I'm interesting. really terrible with tennis balls. Yeah. So, um, yeah, sure. That's, that's probably another reason I'm terrible with those tennis balls. I, you know, I, I didn't have that. I yeah. didn't practice it. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. That's a personal so, preference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I can hear, and I can, I can see that. And again, like, I think that it's important to make sure that, you know, as we talk about these items that we uh, accept to people that, Hey, maybe for you, it's not the right um, tactic and that's okay. And, and, and maybe, and there's a way your voice is important here to say like, Hey, there's, you can totally teach without these things. And in some ways, maybe you should, um, try, you know, and don't rely yeah. on them, you know, too much. I, I think that that's a fair thing to say. And I think it's important for people to hear. Mm -hmm. I agree. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope that was helpful. Oh my gosh, you're so helpful. And I, I was glad to get some FaceTime with you. You're one of those uh, Dalcrosians that I feel like has been elusive to me. I haven't spent very much time with you. So um, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm glad to have the opportunity. I really admire you. And uh, as somebody who's you know working on trying to figure out how to take the work that I've done and make it useful to other people, when I get a chance to talk to somebody who has written books and clinicked and done so many things as you have, I, I'm very excited to kind of pick your brain. That's very kind of you to say, thank you. Thanks for listening. The New Dalcrosian is a production of Hellero Creation. Email us at thenewdalcrosian at gmail.com. Rate and review on your podcast app. Follow us on Facebook. 